everybody. This is Ray Gustinelli, and you are listening to the podcast called Spooky Action at a Distance. It's a podcast whose intro music should by all rights be a theremin, but is not for some unexplainable reason. <laughs> we can fix that. We, we will that. address that oversight very soon, but I am here today with my dear friends, and in one case relative, Jeffrey Lawrence Reedon. And Paul Augustinelli, and we are here today to uh, enlighten and entertain you with thoughts about things that are on our mind, and uh, hopefully, and presumably, through the power of quantum entanglement and the fact that things do happen at a distance over space and time, they're on your mind as well. So uh, we'll uh, share our thoughts, and uh, we hope that you enjoy and share your thoughts back to us. Um, Jeff, how's it going today? Fantastic. Miss you guys so much. It hurt. Uh, love the podcasting thing. Super excited to be back with you guys. You do know that our new, uh, the, what, the, the kids that are listening to our podcast, um, you know, you never know what people are going it, to, it's, it's exciting to see what they call you, uh, how they refer to you, what the internet memes are out there about us and that sort exactly. of thing. And it's sad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spooky so action, action at a difference. distance. And they mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. It looks to me like from the kids, what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, so this is sad. Like, I've heard that too. Right, like, right. this is and sad. Mean, so, but Frowny like, face. But yeah. it's like the kids saying sick. Right. Or, you you know, know what I mean? Presumably so. so. Nice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I'm excited about this particular new platform is that um, I coin so many new phrases. And, uh, and I'm just, I, I, I wish there was a German word for someone who was going to be zeitgeisty, but I'm like ahead of it by like 10 minutes. Right? I'm sure I'm there not, is like, a German word for sure, that. Sure, sure. Yeah. And if not, I'll coin it. Yes. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. So let me finish, okay? Yeah. Can yeah. I? So people say like the King James Bible uh, coined the most kind of new words or phrases that are kind of in English language. Uh, some people say Shakespeare, right? I say bull to the shit. Mm-hmm. That's a new little thing. Okay, bull, that. Bull, bull to the shit. Yeah. To the shit. Okay, no bull, bull. Oh, bull, bull to the shit. Gotcha. You're not helping me. <laughs> Help is, that, me is that like lamb to the slaughter, <laughs> or is it more like an exponent? Except so like, much cooler <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 you know and, and meme worthy. I think. Okay, mm-hmm. bull um, to the shit. And then so I'm going to start documenting through yes. our podcast mm-hmm. uh, some of these uh, these linguistically masterful creations that will become very much Shakespearean, um, I think. So if, and a great example is for years ago, I, I was the one who coined the phrase redunculus. Okay, I oh, did not, not know that. No one no, does because correct. I didn't have a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so now every monkey in the world says that they said it first. Mm-hmm. And what claim do I have? Can you know? Is there an Oxford dictionary? Is there an Oxford podcasting dictionary? Mm. There might be after me. I just wanted to put it out there. Mm, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks so for that. That's okay. what I have for you guys. Right. And we, you know, post-production, we can insert a little like <clears throat> TM, TM, trademark <laughs> some of these phrases <laughs> if you like. So that's credit really is due brilliant. and possibly royalties will be had. That's brilliant. Okay. Well, we'll do our best. Paul Augustinelli, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Really great to see you guys again too. Missed you over the last few weeks. Um, I think there probably is a German in term for spooky spooky action at a distance since it came comes from Einstein right he spoke, yeah, he spoke, I believe so right? yes it was yeah. yes so it's a nice phrase mm-hmm. yeah well it, it was one of those mocking things though right it was it was like big bang or something that actually winds up being yeah but it was it was English I I, I I will try to come up with the, the phrase that uh, it, and I like that I like stretching myself a little bit to come up with a German word yeah. <laughs> Yes. So I'll do that next time. That's Fantastic. And in yeah, a haiku about it. Well, what lies ahead of us today are a little bit of reflections on some old sci-fi that we've all uh, revisited recently as, uh, you know, kids growing up, watching a lot of sci-fi and reading a lot of sci-fi. We're going to talk about Deadwood a little bit later in the podcast, and we're going to get into some stuff that individually we've been watching and reading recently, particularly you, Jeff, because I know that you've been really obsessing and delving down deep into your soul, <laughs> your personal sometimes twisted, sometimes glorious, sometimes simultaneously both soul, uh, as you've been uh, getting into some of these... uh, some of these uh, uh, books and uh, think, TV shows. I think when so, Spike Lee makes the movie of yeah. my life, it might be called Sometimes Twisted, Sometimes Glorious. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's I a like good that. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there soon enough. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts. Just right off, it was interesting because quantum entanglement, you know, which is kind of what underlies 
The name of the podcast, Spooky Action at a Distance, and the concept of quantum, quantum entanglement, which is that particles across space and across time can actually be influencing each other and do influence each other uh, in ways that we can't necessarily explain and which brings into question our notions of space and time and our notions of cause and effect. Because when something happens and something is observed in one particle, uh, here uh, there is some effect which is spooky, is not fully understood, but happens at the quantum layer, that seems to affect or be affected by the activity of something at a distance. And the thing that was in the news recently um, is that apparently this has been captured and images have been made about quantum entanglement, which I thought was quite fascinating. Have you guys seen that? Did you see I, these? I uh, did. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's tough to start out this way. I mean, I <laughs> thought, it wow, is. Yeah. it's pretty yeah. heavy. I, I wanted... I, Probably should have stretched first. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that the, the hard thing about this show is that is that I like to be smart too. But it, you guys bring some smart to it that is like upper level smart, and uh, because because all of this sounds like you just made all that. <laughs> it sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in the world. And it, it's funny because it would. It, I think that we could, and maybe I do this next time too. Is that I present a a concept like maybe in in, in uh, string theory. Or something, but it's just completely garbage. I just made it <laughs> yes. up, and it that wouldn't sound any different than what the, you just said. Isn't yes. that the glory of the world? Yeah. So, so scientists for a long time have said, "Yeah, well, that's not funny, Jeff. We near able to throw rocks at us." Now they have a friggin' picture. Yes, right. Of what, Ray? <laughs> yes. Well, well yeah. Have what? you seen this picture, Paul? I have seen the picture, yeah. but I want to say Jeff is right on with this because even when we have photographic evidence of this so-called effect, we're going like, "What?" Wow, and then still, it's like I still don't get it, <laughs> and not conceptually, but it is so counterintuitive right. to our whole notions of time and space yes. that we simply cannot conceptualize. Even when we see it in right. action, we're like, mm, okay. Right. Well, I do agree with you guys, and I had mixed feelings when I saw the image, which you actually turned me on to, which was like cool. Invites discussion, sort of, kinda. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Clearly meant for somebody to process in a non-analytic way, right? It appeals to one's visual intelligence, if you will, and not one's knowledge of physics and stuff like that. So I guess there's the generous part of me that says, that's good, you know, because it is trying to not have the discussion about quantum entanglement in a way that excludes somebody like you to come and need at the higher level, like you call intelligence. It's not a higher level of intelligence. It's a little bit more knowledge of physics or a different language to talk about it. And it brings a different language, the language of pictures and stuff like that. But by the, by the same token, it's like, I'm not sure what it, whether it really does justice at all to it. And I had the same reaction when the picture of the black hole was released mm -hmm. about about right. two months ago, yeah. they yeah. come up with a picture of the black hole, and they had they, they had this pre news. You know, there was going to be a news con, and there was going to be the reveal. They've got a picture. They got a picture, <laughs> and then it was a little bit. I, I watched the news conference, the presentation yes. that they streamed on the internet, and it was somewhat anticlimactic. I think yes. because people were like. That's oh, black. that's Blackness. what a black hole looks like. And it was clearly so, like this blurry photo of a black thing in the middle. And it could have been like an eclipse or it could have been, it could have been anything that like a Hollywood <laughs> effects person, like they could have crafted a much more compelling image of a black hole. Yeah, I like took a lot of those seconds, pictures right? with my lens cap <laughs> on. <Yeah. laughs> I have hundreds of these. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I yeah. Mean, and, and, and to that point, just briefly, and we'll move on. Yeah. But it's, it's like, you know, listen, if I've got a miss and something that's important to us, and something that we've been really looking for in this and that. I show you a picture of Bigfoot, it's awesome! <laughs> yes! yes! I show you a picture of maybe the most, it might be one of the most important <laughs> physics concepts in the history of the world, and you're just like, uh, not only do I not know what I'm looking at, but I don't know... <laughs> What to think anymore. Right. <laughs> did not help at all. Where do I take this? And, and can you imagine the scientist that took it is like, I finally get yeah. to stop all these 
asshole <laughs> making fun of me and my doctoral dissertation and everything else. I got a picture out here. Look, look, look. This is my Bigfoot. And you're like, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. That's good work. Keep it up. You're doing great. Uh, show me a movie of it. <laughs> no, even, a gif no, of it. No, and I'll, that'll maybe help me. Even, we need more even than the movie or the gif or the audio file. Like going back to the LIGO with the gravity waves that yeah. we heard about a year ago, oh, right? It's like, right. we finally can hear gravity <laughs> waves. And we all tune in. And it's like, <laughs> and everybody is going crazy. They right. get the Nobel Prize for this. And we're going like, not feeling it, right? This Here's what it is. You got it. You know what? We're watching these science fiction dramatizations on TV. We have to go back in time and see ourselves at five years old right. in order to get this shit. <laughs> well, let's do that. Let's do that next. Let's cast back to when we were younger human beings and uh, we were turned on by science fiction. So we're moving from science fiction to science fiction, although science fiction nowadays seems like it's fiction a lot. But, you know, we were watching sci-fi and we've all had opportunity recently, actually, coincidentally, not by design, to revisit some of the stuff that we read and watched uh, as kids with sci-fi. Let me uh, throw to you first, Jeff. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so, so, you know, I have these little holy grails in my life where there's something like uh, that you're that you're intrigued by or you remember. or And, and this was a, a youthful holy grail where I was like, I had a book that I spent a lot of time with, way too much time with when I was a kid and I couldn't even remember like what the name of it was. So you kind of have to... And, and, and Google is so smart, but it's also so stupid. If you are just trying to get help you know, Google is not some wizened uh, librarian where you'd be like, I had a picture, there's a book and it has a picture of this on the front and this and that. Try to try to Google that and you just get porn. <laughs> and, and, and that's not helpful at that moment. It's just not. And so instead, I wind up finally cobbling together enough keywords and that sort of thing right. where I see the picture of my book. Yeah. And, and it was, and so it's, it's called Spacecraft 2000 to 2100 by Stuart Crowley. And, and I was like, I'm going to buy this book. Mm -hmm. I, I loved this book. And then you also have that horrible fear that I'm going to get this book and it's just going to be embarrassing or awful and this and that. And it was a little bit silly, but it was also so fun. Mm -hmm. And I have it by my bedside. Mm -hmm. And it's just got fun paintings and it's just science fiction. It's just, mm -hmm. And it brought so much fun nostalgia back to me. Nice. And, I and I realized that I had memorized all these crazy little facts in this. And I used to say subcranial brainwave diversifier and stuff. <laughs> and it's, and <laughs> that's just from a book. And it's just, it, there, there's no meaning to it. I, I think mean, we have the new title of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand we now just got a picture of the subcranial brainwave diversifier, which doesn't help us at all. Um, and, and, but, and I was going to just speak on it a little bit. I but want one of those. I want my brainwaves diversified. It sounds very helpful. It does. So, and, and I threw it out at you guys, and, and it was going to be my topic, and you guys were like, I can talk about that. So I want to hear you guys talk a little bit about maybe nostalgia or revisiting or sci-fi. Can I ask you one question first? Because the, the book you're referencing, Spacecraft 2, 2000 to 2009? When, no, when? To 2100. To 2100. Okay, so when was it published? So my understanding is it's like the 70s, which is okay. funny to okay. me that they were like, okay. I'm going to go so crazy. Right. I'm going to go to the year 2000. Right, okay. Right. Right. So this know, was all, and it's all time travel, okay, and, and, right. we, and we all understand quantum entanglement, right. And, right. and instead, you know, it's like 2000, and it was just, you know, we just, uh, it was not back to the future. Right, you know, right. Just, we still it was cars. <laughs> where, where, what, what did you uh, recently reconsume? My, my flashback was to the great movie Logan's Run with, with Michael oh, Mudd and Jenny Agoda. Really good. Yeah. Back to the 70s. You know, this is a heyday of science fiction coming up into, into mass consciousness with uh, or mass media, mass art with Star Wars and all that. But uh, I loved that movie when it came out. I thought it was great. And I, and I went back with my partner's nine-year-old son a little bit, you know, wondering whether it was going to hold up in my eyes and then whether, whether it was going to be interesting to his, you know, his eyes, myself at the same age, roughly. And I have to say, I thought it held up for me. I thought it's a really well-constructed, interesting world. It's coherent. It has a great hero's journey about mm -hmm. the Sandman. You guys have seen it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, questioning the whole predicate of mm -hmm. his society, going against it under the auspices of tracking down the rebels and then finding out that the rebels are actually yes. more
we're clued in to right. what humanity is all about. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a blast. Very good. I recommend you rewatching it if you can. Right, right. As And I've seen scenes of it over the years, some recently. I don't think I've watched the whole movie front to back, but... Uh, one thing that uh, occurred to me is that, like, o- almost on a scene by scene basis, there is something that is powerfully prophetic and mm. really well done and well observed. So, from the initial thing, which is you're floating up and exploding, if you're part of the group that's, you know, chosen. Spoiler alert. Oh, <laughs> but I think that's pretty early on. Yeah. So, the fundamental concept and the fundamental thing to the the new you, I believe, yes. is the, Very good. the, the salon the where you go to have plastic demand. surgery. Lasers. I mean, come yeah. on, we're there today where people shape their bodies in a certain way. Mm-hmm. To this post-apocalyptic environmental catastrophe that sits outside the dome. Mm-hmm. To, all, to mm-hmm. the rebels being the good, you know, yeah. all of those things. Cats taking over the White House. Cats taking <laughs> cast taking over the world. You know, you can almost like, t- t- you know, there are full movies built on some of the themes that were established there, yeah. but were not necessarily full themes at the time. So, yeah, kudos. Love a lot of movie. people don't know that that's where they were going uh, before Kevin Spacey got in trouble Yeah, um, in House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards. It was, was going the cats. They rewrite everything. We'll yeah. talk about it maybe later if or in our podcast. But I see. All we were, right. They were going to write about that. <laughs> I read it on the internet. You read it on the internet. I, you know, right? volume three of the Mueller report actually has to do with the wildlife takeover <laughs> of the executive branch. You know, it's, it's, it's top secret. Let's see how it shakes out. This, we have our next episode. What about you, Ray? My, my recent one was... Uh, so when when we were kids, uh, there was a period where our dad let us stay up late into the night to watch oh. the serialized Flash Gordon movies, you know, short movies basically, but which were shown on public TV uh, one after another for many nights running and possibly many weeks running. Uh, and so we got into watching those, and it was fascinating to to I they were running a marathon. I recorded those and got into watching several of those in serial form. So for those who don't know. It's a, which I think actually was run originally as movies, um, short movies um, in the 40s uh, with uh, Buster Crabbe as Flash Gordon and Dale Arden as, uh, boy, uh, forgetting, uh, Dale Arden was the sidekick. And uh, Ming the Merciless was the uh, big... Uh, evil guy, right? So basically, in this, the first series is Flash Gordon saves the universe because it starts with a plague that Ming has started and is propagating, and he has to find the uh, cure to the plague based upon uh, your or based upon a certain substance on a distant planet, and. Uh, Nothing, uh, nothing racist about the presentation. Nothing racist you know, very about being the merciless. Yeah, but what I what I found compelling on rewatching it recently was how artfully. They worked the serialized format by ending every little mini episode, and these episodes were just about 20 minutes long, on a cliffhanger and starting the next episode with a really solid recap of where they left off, including the scroll, the text scroll, which is clearly where Star Wars has got it text scroll, which that sort of angling into the distance on the text scroll to recap where things stood today, and then to re-show essentially the last scene from the previous episode. So you got this you can just get carried along on the river of this serialized fun stuff. So they clearly weren't earning their merits on their special effects which are this cheesiest as, as can be, and in retrospect it just elicits nothing but chuckles but to the artfulness of how they really take you along the story Really pleasant, really pleasant, and you know I'm ready to get back on the bandwagon here. Forty so years later, it's fun to go back and look at some of this stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think it might be fun for us to uh, in a future uh, episode is to talk about stuff that we revisit from our ch- childhood that was like special to us mm-hmm. that does not hold up. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, because right. I've got some stuff on that. I, it, it, a little tease on uh, I was crazy about SWAT. The TV show. Uh, so we'll talk a little yeah. bit more about we that. We did maybe. watch that as well. <clears throat> yes, yeah. I got some fun ones to talk with you about that. <clears throat> right. But some other time. But but Chips is going to hold up, right? I'm going to go back to Chips. What do you mean, is going to hold up? <laughs> does hold up. Ponch and John? No, I, I wasn't crazy about <laughs> Chips. But they remade that too. So I You know, I, I was never a big fan of like Cheers and Friends and those shows, but apparently they are the number one most popular shows on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. to me is actually a little disappointing. Because, mm-hmm. And that's not yeah. to speak to whether they're worthy of holding up. It's just that it seems like 
I mean, what would they seem like they're happier? too young to be watched nostalgically, and they're too. I don't know. They if you're going to go back, to, go back further than that. Exactly. Yeah. If you're going to go back, go back further. And if you're watching it for the first time, there's probably better stuff. <laughs> right? I, guess, I guess that's what's disappointing about that. All right. Well, we'll, we'll unpack that. Some All right. Other All right. Time. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's we'll good. get into that. But let's get into um, to switch from sci-fi to a different genre entirely, which is the Western. Um, we all were big fans, I know, of Deadwood, the series, when that was originally serialized HBO several years ago, and the concluding two-hour movie to that series was recently released. And uh, we all watched it, and I think we all have uh, uh, reactions to it, pro and con. Let's start with you, Jeff. What are your thoughts on the, so how I, they ended the series? I've always been really crazy about Deadwood, <clears throat> and was a little bit mystified that it was canceled, but I guess everything you're crazy about it when, you're, when it's canceled, you're like, why? I loved it, but you were the only one. Well, there were, there were enough folks crying for Deadwood to come back. A com- a, just a filthy, filthy show in so many ways, uh, and, and, um, and a, a guilty pleasure for me. And kind of a, a I think a, almost some of the original kind of hillbilly Shakespeare sort of thing mm-hmm. before, like True right. and some yeah. of that mm-hmm. sort of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, you know, dealing with issues like uh, the rule of law and, and what is, what is, how do we organize society and, and, and the interplay between men and women. And, and it just is I, masterfully done and spun the careers out of a couple of the actors and actresses that went on to stardom and, and justified stardom. So when it ended, which was very odd because they did not know they were ending a series because it just didn't get renewed. And then without the, and sometimes that's such a curse to say you've got two episodes or one episode to wrap up this series. And it results in, I think, oftentimes real garbage or or a series that goes too long mm-hmm. where you, even by half a season where you're like, I, I'm out of energy. And, and we've talked about how there seems to be oftentimes this this artistic thanatos, this death instinct where uh, they seem to, and in my, you know, I've harped on this before, is the, the television show Serenity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I actually think it was called Firefly. I'm sorry. And the movie Serenity. Mm. And so, and just a very entertaining um, sci-fi series. Joss Whedon out there, and he's super quirky and fun and this and that, and, and he gets into a big fight with uh, money people or something, and they wind up essentially letting that series, it just stops. And, um, and then he's given an opportunity to make a movie, which can be disastrous. It can be so scary and terrifying. And instead, he makes a movie, and he does not want to be doing Firefly. He didn't get to do it the way he wanted, mm-hmm. so now he's not going to play anymore. And he makes this horrible movie. And at the end of it, everybody like blows up, and he kills everyone, and then he physically comes out and takes a dump on the stage and then leaves. <laughs> He didn't do that. He didn't do that. But it was like the cinematic equivalent indeed, of a dump indeed. on the scene. And he just flips the fit, you know, the yeah. finger at the money guys. But yeah. I'm the one watching the movie. You're not flipping it at them. You're flipping it at me. Yeah. And so it's fascinating. It's like I've I've heard people who were a little bit disappointed about The Handmaid's Tale because it was supposed to be uh, either a season or two, and now they're stretching it out because it's so enormously successful. Mm-hmm. But they had crafted a box mm-hmm. for it to live in, a universe, a container for it to live in that was a different shape. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people, so it's just fascinating to see things that go too long. Right. I was so worried about Deadwood, so worried about Deadwood, because I really enjoyed the series. And I'm like, don't wrap it up in a two-hour movie. And instead, I thought it was well-written, it was well-performed. It's actually several years after, which did not make it weird. Mm-hmm. And I just thought they did an excellent job. I thoroughly right. enjoyed it. Yeah. What did, what did you think, Paul? I think you had slightly different opinion of that. S- similar kind of kind of terrain with Jeff, but maybe a, a slightly different different opinion and feeling, emotional feeling to it. Love the series. They, you know, Milch does a great job of writing the Shakespearean language that's set in this, you know, terrain that you don't think is gonna is gonna carry that, but a great range of interiority and external action. It's really strong female characters, yeah. really interesting, you know, ethnic characters and outsider yeah. characters, disabled characters. It was mm-hmm. a very rich world in what is a very cliched setting. Mm-hmm. And it was really very well done, you know, over the top with violence, over the top with the profanity. But but it really, you know, quite a spectrum. The 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 
the ability to extend that over the multiple episodes, multiple storylines was one of the powers of the series. And I came to the final, and I think it was a really well done two-hour movie with interesting characters, a great story arc, some great dramatic monologues that come in, some great humorous points, you know, masterfully done. It's a masterfully done. But I ended that saying, that's not the world of Deadwood that really brought home the value to me. That was a decent two-hour movie with interesting characters, mm-hmm. but I need the breadth, the openness, the extension of the themes of the you know the, the capitalists coming in and, mm-hmm. and extending those. These are like generational themes, and so a bit unsatisfying just because of the nature of the form, but. That's 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 where it landed to me. Right. You know, and rest in peace, I guess. <laughs> well, and the nice thing about it is, I hope not, because the way it was written does not have to end. You can make another movie, yeah, and you can also make another series or or another season. I'm not sure you can do it well because maybe it should stop. Mm-hmm. But I, I liked the fact that I thought that was part of the mastery was that I could see it even going on further. And if it goes into another series and works in that form, that's I'm going that to make you happy. to it. But boxing it up in those two-hour boxes, like you say, I think, not, doesn't quite work. Yeah, my, my, my reaction was it was emotionally satisfying for me. And um, before this conversation, I'm not sure I, I could have explained why, but I think based on how you're looking at I think the reason I would say that is because I think... Um, you know, to to be a showrunner of a series, you're probably in a no-win proposition in some ways for how to end that series. And in our minds, we probably have all been showrunners of our own little series <laughs> that we've scripted in our own minds that have gone on four seasons or seven seasons, right? And you think about the series that have been successful. And Game of Thrones comes to mind, too, as one, like, you know, no-win proposition in many ways. Yeah. Once you've established a lot of uh, well-earned bona fides in the part of the audience for good reason in terms of whatever it is you're doing. Well, it's almost, you know, who, how are you going to satisfy everybody and how are you going to bring something that is is, is world-building in scope to any sort of conclusion? Absolutely. Because the world doesn't end what you've done successfully. So, so I think in some ways um, th- these guys were under that constraint. And I think what they did well and I think what some of these uh, folks who end the series in, in you know, ways that are emotionally satisfying, I think, for me, are that they set the terms of the debate by, in some way, going into what it is. So, hey, to end a, a, a series with a two-hour movies that was largely about world-building, language, and all this stuff, was by def- is not going to be satisfying in some way. There's just no way you can bring all of these storylines to a conclusion. And like you say, Jeff, these storylines don't conclude, right? Their lives go on. So to have a conclusion where everybody dies in the end would be absolutely not the right way to end this. But I think they went into this to say, we're not going to try to put a cap on it, nor are we going to try to... Um, make this a two-hour movie that is in and of itself totally freestanding. We want to honor what has come before, and we want to honor the fact that some stuff may come after. And so I think on on those terms, it it played both sides of the equation actually pretty well, is that it was a good enough two-hour movie. It tapped into the themes and the characters. It it encapsulated a little mini plot having to do with the, the bad guy coming back. And stuff like that, uh, and there was a murder, there was a death, so everybody was able to to have their moment to demonstrate their character and to express it in the language that was key to them. Mm. And yet, it must end. It yeah. did have to end. Yeah. So, and so I think actually coming back to sort of something of the genius of of Milch and the showrunners there was to sort of set that. They decided this is what we want to do, and they, in some ways, I think maybe they taught us. They didn't teach us to expect more over the course of that two-hour movie than they were prepared to deliver. I buy it. So I was satisfied at the end. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Would we all agree on Deadwood? That's no fun. I I mean, it might have been more... I, I don't know, maybe, it's, I don't know that they're going to do anymore, because that's one of the poignant things is Milch, which I didn't know, is has <laughs> descended into, or has, is yeah, so, something yeah. with Alzheimer's or something like that, so that was interesting. You started this theme by saying some of these series just fall prey to 
Thanatos, <laughs> right, right. That, was, that was mean. That was this mean sort of uh, <laughs> diminution of energy I and entropy and, and stuff. With that particular gentleman, I meant nothing. Uh, didn't even know, sir. I'm sorry. About that. But he did it right, you know, and, and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you have next for us, Doctor Frankenstein? Well, what's 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 what are some of the other things that you've been? Uh, Looking at so right. I I'm gonna go jump back in time a little bit with a super quirky uh, film Punch Drunk Love yeah. um, with, with yes Adam Sandler uh, a uh, and and so um, I can't quantify how much I love that movie it's a fun movie and and the premise is super weird it's like a very dysfunctional person Adam Sandler falling in love in the most unexpected strange and and yet. Uh, it's not um, expansive and it's not big. It's small. It's a, it's a very small universe, but it's lovely. And so it was. It's weird. It was beautiful. It was heart heartbreaking, heartwarming. Um, I love it so effing much. It was amazing. And Adam Sandler and it's Emily Watson. Yeah. Kind of before yeah. Mm-hmm. you know she blew up in a lot of ways. As as in my opinion, Emily Watson is the most beautiful every woman in history. In, in movie history, wow. just uh, just with the most quirky, wonderful, weird song in the world, "He Needs Me," which is really fun Can to you listen sing to. A few bars. No, that's that's a great part of it. <laughs> is that I really want. Um, it, the fun thing about it is that it's like this heart pouring out. He needs me. He needs me. He needs me. And and the the person is so excited that they speed up the meter of the song. It's like, and, and I think it's a she. Mm. And she gets out in front of it. So, you know, the, the, the cadence is, he needs me, he needs me, he needs me, he needs me. And she just gets faster and faster because it's like, I'm so excited that he needs me. And, and that, that joy and that innocence is so powerful. So I wanted to, this was actually from, um, from Rolling Stone. And I loved it and I just wanted to share. So it's blissfully romantic, undeniably eccentric, the easy go-to answer for the best Adam Sandler movie ever made. <laughs> a, a modernist gem, a Valentine to old musicals and the only film to feature both Philip Seymour Hoffman and an abandoned harmonium in key <laughs> supporting roles. Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love remains as an outlier in the film career, uh, the filmmaker's career, and one of the most oddball movies to come out of the studio in the past two decades. An ode to true love involving phone sex scams, pudding, uh, wrecked public restrooms, and proof that even cracked pots have lids that complement them. It's a gloriously weird love story, one that would require a singularly offbeat soundtrack, which is where Jean Brion comes in and he writes <laughs> he writes that song. Mm. So anyway, I, I loved it, rewatched it with my wife, cried and laughed and had a lot of fun. So that's one that's always free, whatever, uh, whatever uh, platform you have, yeah, yeah. it's a fun one to watch. Have you seen that one? I have not. Yeah, yeah. I have not, but I will. I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, many years ago when I saw it, and I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan, and I think you his know, great exegesis of his career is probably a full podcast episode at some right, point right. to understand his art. Because I did see some of his recent stand-up recently. He has a Netflix special, yeah. which was very funny. He's actually. a funny guy. And uh, he actually does the the... The, the, the funny lyrics, the joke songs, yeah, uh, nonpareil. I mean, he is very accomplished at that within his milieu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. within his theme. So very funny. But he was, I mean, he was a bona fide actor. I, I feel in Punch Drunk Love, it was he wasn't just a, a comedian uh, with a. You it's know, a fun ve- one. A vehicle. It's yeah. one of those fun movies because the maybe most the, the one of the f- most fun things in my life is to be able to say. This is a movie that you've maybe never even heard of, and you'll see, and you'll mm. freak out. Mm. That's fun when you have that kind of power yeah. with some mm. gem that you have, and I think that's one of them. Yeah. So, um, I really and can we talk about some of the other yeah, stuff? Yeah. So, really loved Barry on HBO, mm-hmm. um, not Showtime like you told me earlier. Sorry, I'm about joking. That. I'm the one who didn't know. So dark and funny. <laughs> Which is a weird combination of dark and funny, um, and disturbing at times. And then, and this is maybe another podcast to talk about. But there was one episode, and, and I think uh, season two, episode five, it veered off so weirdly, populated with the laziest, unfunniest writing, mm. and even weird acting that I don't know. And, and maybe you just do that when you have uninspired dreck. And and I wish, and, and I, I'm hungry. It's like a holy grail. 
Am I loony? That's obviously not true. The answer, <laughs> the answer is not that I'm loony, but there was like something idiosyncratic that happened in that show. It was so radically different. It's like a completely different show within a show. But I did not want to start watching Barry. My wife kind of talked me into it. I mean, what's the premise? It's like a, it's a hitman who's almost a sociopath or a psychopath in some ways, but he joins an acting troupe and finds his love. Very relatable. It's just it hits me right here. It's yeah. right where I live. Yeah. And instead, um, really inspired writing uh-huh. and, and mm-hmm. funny, clever stuff out of stuff that's not funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, so mm-hmm. much of this stuff is not funny, and to make it funny is is kind of genius and art. Mm-hmm. I, I I've watched Barry. I've watched the seasons that are uh, out there, and I really enjoy mm-hmm. and I really have a lot of respect for it. I think what they're what they've done is is hard to do, uh, and they manage to be very laugh out loud funny side by side with poignant and horrifying, disturbing uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, they take risks; most of them deliver, um, but they dole out those high risky. And I remember some scenes where you are like, "Holy cow! I'm right. not sure I like these people, and right. not sure I want to hang." And I'm sure I won't. No spoilers here, but there's. A couple of scenes where yeah. the hitman does what a hitman the hitman does what a hitman does, <laughs> and you are this is uh, completely horrifying and uh, not sure I want to be on the bandwagon with this guy's journey, right? But you do, but you stay on it, you stay on it. So I'm interested to see how that mm-hmm. bears itself out. I mean, it how, how many yeah. seasons can you do that? Yeah, yeah. you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, what, what's the saying? Uh, I don't know if Lenny Bruce said this. Like, dying is easy, comedy is hard, or something like that. <laughs> Dr- I think drama. Dr- is, dra- is yeah, easy. I think yeah. it might be like yeah, drama is easy in terms comedy of writing. Yes, yeah. drama is easy, comedy is hard. It has been said, and I think this is uh, part of yeah what they what they're getting at is is to walk that line. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good segue into the the things that I have for you that yeah. I've been enjoying. One yes. is a binge-worthy Netflix series. The other one is a book that I just finished reading. Yeah. The series is called Dark. Mm-hmm. It's a German series yeah. on, on Netflix. They've got two seasons in the can and available. And you, you, So it's a German series, and it's set in a small town in Germany with a nuclear power plant. It starts with the disappearance of a child, and it gets into some nefarious, weird things, and you have multiple generations of people in the town and I mean doesn't that just sound like a like a wonderful description? Like, aren't you guys ready to go here? Right? That's a crowd pleaser. And then yeah, I'm going to yeah. tell you that being a German series, it took me to about the sixth episode to realize I haven't laughed once <laughs> since this going. And I'm going to tell you right now, you probably won't laugh, maybe not even chuckle for the entire two series. Uh-huh. That that German sensibility just doesn't go there, you know? Yeah. But nevertheless, this thing has time travel in it. It yeah. has young people who are engaged with each other with interesting conflicts, interesting conflicts with their elders, a generational secret around a nuclear power plant and the salvation of the world, and it even extends into different time frames. You've got characters going back in time, meeting themselves, mm-hmm. meet, wow. even becoming, slight spoiler, but even becoming related to characters who you see from later on in the yeah, timeline yeah. Yeah. that you didn't realize that they were related in, yeah. in these really clever ways. Um, really fun stuff. Yeah. I just got to say it's and, and it takes it takes a lot of cleverness these days to like do a time travel movie. Have yeah. you realize that? Because yeah. it's been yeah. we've been several decades of like playing with that conceit. Yes. Maybe even a hundred years if you go back to H.G. Wells, right. the time machine. Sure. Okay, boom, you go forward, you see this. You go backward, you see this. Mm-hmm. Then you get some complications about going back and do you mess with yourself or not? Right, right. This is now we've got Mobius Strip going on. We've got three and four different time frames interacting with each other in real time, loops within loops. Yeah. It's like really messed up and it's really cool. <laughs> right, right. Now, is it, it, I've heard about this and I'm inclined to watch this, but one thing that's been scaring me a little bit is that it, because some of these pictures can become puzzle boxes, yeah. right? Yeah. Gadget pictures yeah. sort of thing, it, where figuring out the... <coughs> The puzzle is the big challenge. Yeah, is it? Does it veer in that direction, or do you have 
character development and like rich themes that are anchored. I mean, I'm all in favor of those pictures. Yeah. um, Don't know yet. Don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) And and I want to riff off that for a second because um, we've trusted. I don't like you. I love you. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm talking to Paul. Okay. And but he's like the person that said you got you have to watch Black Mirror, and it broke me. And you know, I'll never be the same. I can't unwatch. Well, see, after I said that to you, I stopped watching. <laughs> so, so can 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 I watch this without it breaking my brain yeah, and, and yeah. scarring this me? Is, for the this is not sort of sickly dark the way Black Mirror is. This is this is dark okay. in a yeah. in kind of a brooding. That's way. fine. What yeah. about your book? The book is called The Overstory, which has gotten a lot of accolades. It's written by Richard Powers, who's got a very scientific perspective, but a really amazing, wonderful writer in terms of character development and narrative. He's really a masterful storyteller. And it's about really the overstory has to do with trees. And I would say it's about the the ecology of trees, even the consciousness of trees and how how our world is interconnected mm-hmm. and the, what's what's really masterful about it that I love is is the way the story is told almost with a perspective not around humans being the main antagonists with their hero's journey being the be all and end all this is going back to the way Deadwood tells a certain story and where the, the way we're learning to understand narratives these days is no longer about a single person who goes through a journey and comes out with some sort of transformation and something at the end it's bigger than that and the story of our world and the story of our civilization is bigger than that. And we're starting to come to consciousness about what's going on on these really broader time frames. And I mean, even Dark deals with these broader time frames in a way where they're slipping back and forth. You know, characters are literally traveling to different time frames. Mm -hmm. And this one takes place over about 100 years, does from about the 1920s up until about the 1990s, right? Roughly, roughly like that, but with a handful of characters who go through various interlocking uh, plot lines and journeys that they're going, and some of them fall away, and some of them die, and some of them, you know, f- succeed at what they're doing. Some of them fail at what they're doing, and all along you have almost like a tree-like consciousness mm. around this whole human drama, mm. as it is simultaneously affecting, you know, the overstory of of the tree base mm. of the mm-hmm. world, and you know what do, what do they care about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they just they're just witnessing this this right. happening. You right. know, it's it's almost a higher perspective. It's almost a spiritual perspective yeah. that's embedded within the narrative. Are there really any callbacks to the, the tree ents and the Tolkien? You know, I got it, you know, because what he did with trees was, uh, I think, fairly revolutionary at the time, embedded in a purely fantastical milieu, obviously. with the, Very similar. With very, very similar yeah. consciousness. And, uh-huh. of course, that's embedded in a traditional hero's journey, right. a very archetypal journey right. around Frodo and, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, doesn't have quite the the heroism level mm-hmm. that you get in that, yeah. but you get the same uh, perspective. Right. When he started this conversation, it was not the noun I thought he was going to pick for us to be talking about all this trees. <laughs> that was a shocking. <laughs> I thought he might be punking me again. <laughs> but you loved it. I so did. I will read that too, and it'll probably mess me up too. It is long, isn't it? It is. It's about 500 pages. Yes. But um, very absorbing. Yeah. 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 Well, I've read other Richard Powers. He's a, he's a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so my, um, just to hit you real quick, but the thing I've uh, watched recently that I found very compelling, don't know if you guys have seen this, is Chernobyl, the HBO series. Oh, my God. Which, oh. Did you see it, Jeff? I, I, I was so desperate to, that I had not been able to yeah. talk about that, that yeah. I was going to try to ham- shoehorn this in later, so yeah. I'm going to let you do your thing. But okay. I love, love, loved Chernobyl. And it was I was so hungry for Chernobyl because I, I, how does this happen? What does it look like? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, my, my quick take on it is that I wasn't hungry for it. I didn't know that I wanted the inside story. I didn't know there was an inside story. Uh, I wasn't sure, uh, y- you know, whether it would be relentlessly bleak, whether it would be the tale of, uh, you know, Russian bureaucracy. Um, but I found it absolutely compelling. On the recommendation of, of others, I did watch the whole series, and I found that it was educational on the science level about what actually did happen there at the nuclear reactor. It told human tales, much based specifically in reality, some were composite characters and stuff like that, but they didn't. They, they played by the rules for the most part in telling the human story of how it was identified, how it was uh, covered up, uh, what 
went well in terms of addressing it, what was fucked up and what the impacts were both on a physical level and sort of a bureaucratic level or, you know, socio-political level and what it revealed about not just the science, but our relation to big science as society, because these things are social issues now, right? When you have a nuclear reactor where when things go wrong, it can, it can affect millions tens of millions of people in a very dramatic way, it becomes something that everybody needs to be aware of. And how the Russians failed to do so and how they, you know, certain individuals heroically insisted that it was reckoned with is is the tale that is told there very, very adroitly, very well, very compelling. Yeah, I I loved it. I I absolutely loved it. And I've always been a little hungry for the story because there were, you know, there's these what ifs in history and that sort of thing. And and you just from the Western world, not that we don't screw stuff up, too. Mm -hmm. But there was a little bit of this like this could not happen. This obviously cannot. (laughs) And and you don't even know. I mean, that's the Mm -hmm. fun but terrifying slash terrifying thing about Chernobyl is that Oh, this this could have gone. I mean, it went really well. Chernobyl was great. There's a meeting where they're like, you know, hey, this is going to go badly. And then they're like, well, you know, how much are we going to have to evacuate? And he says, he says to Germany. Right. Not the next town. It's like Europe is just uninhabitable throughout the next hundred thousand years. And and it caused a minor fight between between my wife and I because it was so Whoa. it was so emotional and weird yeah. for me. I didn't even know this was going on. And and my wife and I haven't even unpacked this fully yet. But she's on the couch and I'm standing, which is probably a start. A sign of how agitated you're getting. Because <laughs> I am just, everything they're saying is mind-blowing to me. It's blowing my mind, yeah. and it's fascinating. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't know why they're talking in British accents. <laughs> but I, I think Paul might have something to say. Stop me from watching. But I still loved it. I still loved yeah. it, because I'll listen to any crap in British accents. <laughs> so, and uh, and I and I think that if I, if I try to tell it from my wife's side, which I still am not sure what my wife's side is, because she was like, I'm going to stop watching this because it's too important to you. And, and I'm, and I'm kind of, you ruined it for her. Basically. I think I probably did. You know, she might be like looking at Facebook and I'm like, did you hear that? Did you, are you listening? And she's like, no, sweetheart. We're just watching TV. Maybe, maybe you should watch this, sweetheart. And maybe I'll go into the other room. And, uh, and, but it was, it was that for some reason it, it, it tapped into something very powerful for me. Yeah. It was short, yeah. which, which yes. I kind of liked as well because yes. I wanted it. I thought it was going to be like a series. Right. Like I was going to watch it for seasons and seasons <laughs> and seasons. <laughs> and I get six episodes, which is is a we talk about this container. What, yeah. what is the container for the art? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was kind of perfect. Right. You know, I right. felt like I yeah. could have watched it because there's yeah. obviously something. And, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this podcast because it might be a better one to, to <laughs> switch to the next one. But um, is what things me to you uh, psychologically mm. how they're tapping into you in a very very powerful way because I've had a couple of things I, I'll, I'll just give a little tease on it True Detective the third series mm-hmm. um we were joking about the end of Deer Hunter. Uh, the Chernobyl just can very powerfully tap into something inside you, and I don't know what that something is. And so it might be fun to chop that up with you guys at some other time. Yeah. You, and what, why didn't you watch Chernobyl just to finish Well, I watched up on the first one. episode. The, the British accents really threw me. Yeah. They're in the Ukraine, for God's sakes. I mean, give me English with a Ukrainian accent <laughs> instead of British with a sort of Ukrainian right. accent. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, and it was it was really gruesome, right. you know, gruesome the way that radiation poisoning would get right, know, people. Right. So I, I um, spoiler alert, it gets worse. Yeah, in future episodes, it does. It, it so I'm I'm yeah. you know you you you've encouraged me to go and do the rest of it. I yeah. Will. yeah. Okay. Great. Well, let, we only have a limited time. Yeah. Let's wrap up on True Detective because I know that there were some scenes in True Detective that really moved you, and <laughs> I want to let you. Talk so about. so True Detective yeah. came to mind because we're talking about containers, and True Detective goes out and purposely does one se- one uh, season that is essentially self-contained. Yes. Which I, I really was very wary and, and and leery of that treatment. And I've kind of come to be crazy about it because we love, love, love the first uh, season. Didn't love the second one, but still really enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And then this third 
um, season, I was almost like past it. I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to watch True Detective anymore. We did, and it was, and, and tell me the name of the, the uh, lead actor again. Mahershala Ali. He is spectacular. He is glorious in it. And he's broken and, 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 and always trying to redeem. And there's a scene at the end where there's a reveal and it's we, we, we talked about it just briefly when we were we were and you don't even remember the scene I do not <laughs> and it I wept I mean I didn't cry I was like I it, it tapped into something so powerfully inside of me and a story about him and and, and feeling for him but then there's it's not just him there's something going on with me that um, <laughs> that I would love to be able you almost wish that you could talk to a psychiatrist and say what if you totally lose your shit at the end of Deer Hunter. What does that say about you? <laughs> what if you just can't pull yourself together for like 10 minutes and your mm-hmm. and your future wife is on the couch with you going, what the hell am I getting myself into? <laughs> well, I, it, just, uh, it, it means that you're a, a, a sensitive person and you're witnessing powerful art. I, I mean, love that. Uh, yeah. I, I hope that's the answer. Then, but, it's, yeah. but it is interesting to be able to, to not have access to that, to yeah. be able to <laughs> because your wife, at some point in time, when you have pulled yourself together, may say, "Sweetheart, are you okay? <laughs> so, oh, can you tell me a little bit about that?" And you're like, <laughs> "No." She's <laughs> like, "Okay, we'll process we'll we'll this. We'll watch yeah, Chernobyl in thirty years." Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but to, to get a little glimpse of yourself, and like you said, yeah. to have, and, and maybe that is some, some beautiful mirror of art in your own life that it's like. It may be as simple as you, dude. You got arted. You got punked by that. You, you know, they gotcha. showed you yes. art in a way that was just beautiful and opened your soul in a, in a wonderful way. It doesn't have to mean that yes. something horrible about me. I like that story a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't remember that scene, but I, did, I do remember the series. I, I much preferred it to the second series, which I didn't finish. And I thought it did a lot of what was well done in the first series, which um, it was atmospheric. I, I, that's what I like. I think about that yeah. series. It set, in, set a certain tone of, of mystery, and they played with time. You know, that's part of the thing is they weave in and out of time, and they did it very, very specifically. Very and not trying to be super clever, but yeah. it was so great. And, and you know, that was true of uh, all the series, I think, is they, they change the time frame, and they do it in a way that doesn't announce it necessarily. You right. just see the characters look a little bit different yes. and operate in a different way, which I think is good. It challenges you to sort of figure out, a little bit of puzzle box way, but not in a heavy-handed way. Um, so you're sort of interpreting sort of what's going on. But in more very specifically in that last season, Mahersha Ali is suffering from dementia. And part of his challenge is mem- remembering what happened. And part of the theme is dealing with the consequences of the decisions that were made with regard to the investigation cover up potentially and stuff like that yeah. uh, that went on. So they layered that in a pretty nice way, which which has it has the risk of being done very heavy, heavy-handedly, but was done a little bit lighter and done in a way that put an emphasis upon the acting yeah. and the, uh, the emotional power. So yeah, I, I quite liked it as well. So I think our time is at an end, and I we have another half. We have another hour of garbage to talk about, but we probably should mercifully cut this short. We we should cut this short for the benefit yes. uh, or the the, the mercy uh, of our listeners, Great. Um, <laughs> who, if they haven't abandoned us by now, are yeah. pretty close oh, no, to doing so. Oh, I see guys. what you're saying. Yes. Yes. No, I like yeah. that better. Yeah, but we have more than enough to discuss on uh, episode three of Spooky Action at a Distance, which I. Trust will be forthcoming within the next uh, week or two, hopefully. Oh, Sounds yeah. great. So we yeah. will follow uh, with our, our steadily building audience. Paul, do you have the traffic numbers? I think you've been looking at the uh, website and the streams. It's it's in the it's in the digits. It is in yeah. the digits. Okay, good. That's good. impressive. So we yeah. are yes, definitely uh, above impressive. zero on that, which is fantastic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a bullet, as I understand it. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> uh-huh. in the exciting. digits with a bullet. That's exciting. Yeah. 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 It's, so, it, what it is is it's it's rewarding. Yeah. You, you, you know, know what? Bull to the shit. That's right. <laughs> Pull to the shit. Love Absolutely. you guys so much. <laughs> Love you guys as well. It's been fantastic. Love you guys. They just got arted. Oh. <laughs> Bingo. Cue the theremin. <laughs> Outro music coming. <laughs> do, can we do that? Yeah. Can we just do it with our voices? Yeah. <laughs>